Greetings and welcome back to The Dive, the podcast series in which we take an in-depth look at material studied during the previous week's Dafyomi pages. Uh, this is the third in a series on a special topic requested by the Talmudim of, um, of Tosefet Shabbat. Uh, next week we're going to go back to looking at things that are really on the daf. Uh, in the past two weeks, we have looked into the area of Tosefet Shabbat, what's commonly called early Shabbat, a very common phenomenon in a lot of places in the spring and summer, and what the impact of it is, how one accepts Shabbat early, what one person's acceptance impacts, how it impacts on other members of the household, how the community's uh, acceptance impacts on the individual's, um, what uh, one is still allowed to do during that time vis-a-vis asking another Jew to do malacha or a non-Jew to do malacha. Um, and today we're going to look at the impact in other areas of halacha. And then it'll also give us an opportunity to take a uh, sort of a first look at a, another area of halachic literature that we really haven't had a chance to look at and which we typically don't get to in the course of a dafyomi study. Uh, and these are some of the questions that we asked back in the first shiur is, how does the issue of Tosefet, Shabbat, and Yom Tov impact on other areas of halacha? For instance, uh, I know it sounds uh, like a, perhaps a strange question because one of the most common things that happens at early minyanim is that at the end, announcement is made, everybody remember to repeat Kriyat Shema after, and then some sort of time is given, 8.15 or whatever, uh, and but the question still could be asked, well, if by saying Arvit early you've effectively made it Shabbat, then that means by definition you've made it nighttime, and perhaps Kriyat Shema is already in play. So we'll take a look at that. Um, a more extravagant question, for several reasons, is that if a baby born were born, let's say a baby was born, uh, a boy was born uh, after, let's say, the whole community had said Arvit, at, let's say 7 o'clock, or in the scenario that we've talked about, and we're going to see again, if there's one Beit Knesset and the Chazan says Baruch Hu, and the impact, we said it, it impacts everybody on the community, and a baby is born half an hour later, but it's before sunset, when is the Brit? Now, one could make the argument that the Brit should be the next Shabbat, or because of the Suffolk, maybe the next Sunday, because the baby was born on Shabbat. On the other hand, the sun had not yet set, and it was Friday day, astronomically. Okay. Um, the third of the fourth er- four areas we're going to look at is in the area of Hilchot Nida. Uh, when a woman uh, wants to start counting her Shiva Nikim, she has to do a Hefsek B'Tahara, which means she has to uh, do a B'Dika to check herself to make sure that she's not bleeding at all, and it has to be done during the day. And it's supposed to be done at the end of the day, um, of the uh, of the last day in which uh, which she's still not counting, uh, and then begin counting the next day. Uh, what happens if she uh, let's say again the chazan says baruch at seven o'clock, and at seven thirty she does her hafsek petahara? Does that count, or does she have to wait to start counting a day later? Uh, and then the last one, which is an area that that. The impacts in several different directions is Tosefet Yom Tov, and specifically here we're talking about Yom Tov, I'll explain why in a second, and the issue of Avelut. And the reason is because, remember, Yom Tov cancels Avelut. There is no Avelut on Yom Tov. And as a result of that, let's say that a person buried one of their relatives an hour before Sukkot. Then they have their Shiva's done. Shiva's one hour. We're all familiar with that. Uh, so what would happen if someone were to accept Yom Tov early? Now, you would say at that point they're not going to be burying their relative, but 
we have that throws us into another that introduces another area of which is um, historically and uh, even in our day something that still happens which is called a shmua a shmua is when you learn that a relative has died and been buried and then we get into the area of Shmua Krovan, Shmua Rechokah, and we'll deal with all of that when we get to it towards the end of the Shi'ur. Uh, so we're going to look at really two things. We're going to look at these four areas as they are addressed in the classic Sifrei Psak. Uh, and we've already been introduced to them, to the tour, the Beit Yosef, the Shulchan Aruch, the Ramah, uh, over the court. Last week we spent a lot of time on that, so we're not going to go over that again. Uh, there is one other um, uh, early commentator that we're, I'm going to introduce uh, here because uh, we're going to address him, we're going to use his material right away for a curious piece. And then once we've looked at all four of these different areas in the uh, in the codes, I'm going to then take a couple minutes to introduce chuva literature, and then we'll take a look at three chuvot uh, that deal with uh, the deal with this uh, these uh, with some of these topics. I want to first take a look at Sefer Ra'avon, or Beleza of Natan, who lived in mines. Uh, in the uh, early uh, 12th century, um, was born in 1090, um, and who was one of the Balei Tosafot, uh, no surprise there, and he uh, composed a sort of a code, which is also made up sort of an abridged version, kind of in the form of, of the riff, but of uh, a code that goes through Shas, in following the order of Shas, and in Masachat Brachot, at the very beginning, and this is something we discussed in our Brachot uh, Shiurim, the issue of, of Plag HaMincha, and the first question that's addressed by Rashi, by the Tosfot, by um, numerous Rishonim uh, on the spot, is the issue of Zman Kriyachmi being presented as Tzeta Kochavim, and the reality that throughout the Jewish world, people would say Arvit before sunset, and how to reconcile those two, the ruling and the behavior. And, uh, and the general approach taken by the Tosafists and that entire school was to find ways to justify the behavior, either as Parashi, then when you say Kriyachma, Alhamita, later when you go to sleep, that's, that fulfills the mitzvah of Kriyachma, or like some of the opinions in Tosfot, that perhaps Man Kriyachma is a bit early, the, earlier. The Ravan has a very different take on the whole thing, and it's worth spending a few minutes because it's interesting and it brings us back into the issue of Tosefet. And so, uh, just we'll take a look at the highlighted parts. He says, Vinireli the Kulu Tanoi, meaning that whole list of Tanaim with their different opinions of whether Zman Kriyachma is when a poor person starts eating his meal, when Kohanim start eating their truma, when regular people start eating their meal, when we start eating their meal on Friday night, all the different opinions. He says, Kulu Tanoi, eat lohu cried the Chatab Bacha. They all agree that we're starting from the Pasuk that says, Bishoch Bacha, which is Zman Shchiva. It's when you go to sleep to Hulaila. They also agree that there is the rabbinic uh, rule, which is there to support and and protect Kriyachma, which is that you can't eat dinner until you say Kriyachma, which means, therefore, we turn things around and say, Zman Kriyachma then becomes around dinner. And then the question just is, who's dinner? And then further down in the, um, uh, actually, we're going to look a little above the highlighted part in the part that's larger text. For Achamar, this is the whole list of all the different Chachamim, including some of the some of the post Rebbe late Tanaim Rab Chanina, who was Rebbe's uh, student, is in there, uh, is listed in that late Brighta. That's when most people go to eat dinner. 
v'korin have zman kriya lakol. That's when everybody should read. I feel Even people who eat later, that's still the time because it's determined according to him based on when most people go to eat dinner. If people want to read, if they read Kriyat Shema later, as long as before they eat, or a little earlier than that, if they want to eat earlier, so they could say Kriyat Shema earlier, that's fine. Meaning, it's not saying that that's the only time for Kriyat Shema. It's just you could start saying Kriyat Shema at the time that most people are about to eat. Which means, by the way, anybody who's about to eat, according to this, has to say Kriyat Shema first. And that becomes man kriyachma. We're talking about the evening dinner. And then he says, He said, they, they made a rule that you say kriyachma during the day. This is the general approach in Ashkenaz. Because in the summer, people eat dinner during the day because sunset is late. And he can't sit down to eat without saying Kriyachma. And since that was the custom in the summer, therefore that's also the custom in the winter. In other words, his position is as follows. Since um, we be, since um, um, we begin we we sit down to eat earlier, and we're gonna see how this rolls into the issue of Tosefet. Since this we sit down to eat earlier than than nightfall. And you have to say Kriyachma before eating. Therefore, the rabbis mandated that Zman Kriyachma then becomes just before your evening meal. So therefore, if by definition, when you're fulfilling Tosefet Shabbat, and you're fulfilling it by not only davening earlier, but having your meal earlier, by definition, you have to say Kriyachma earlier, which means that Tosefet creates nighttime for purposes of Kriyachma. Of course, you could throw all of that out and say, we're not saying that at all. We're saying that nighttime is really not the determinant, according to the Ravon, for uh, Kriyachma, and rather it's eating time. And therefore, it doesn't play at all play a role at all. By the way, the Ravon is the only one to express an opinion like this, and in a number of things, he's quite the iconoclast. Uh, and uh, the broad approach is that even those who feel that there is an affirmative obligation of Tosefet uh, Shabbat, as the Shulchan Aruch says, Yeshomrim, or those who feel like it's permissible, like the Rambam says, still feel that you'd have to say Kriyat Shema again later, or perhaps say Tefillah without Kriyat Shema, and then say Kriyat Shema at a later time with the Brachot. Okay, we'll go to the, uh, to the next question, which is the question of Brit Milah. Now, Brit Milah, the truth is, it's going to be very easy, it's going to be a very simple thing. What's really remarkable is that it's brought up at all. The Rambam, as you could see in Source 32, in Hilchot Milah, says that uh, a baby is born, the breed has to be on the eighth day. So if a baby is born during Ben Hashmashot, we spent quite a lot of time on Ben Hashmashot. So normally we would count from the nighttime. So if a baby was born on Tuesday evening, and the baby was born, and we'll, we have a definition for what, uh, what born is when the majority of the head is out, and that is, let's say, 20 minutes, uh, 15 minutes after sunset, uh, then you would count the baby as being born Wednesday. If it was Tuesday evening, 15 minutes after sunset, the Brit would be the next Wednesday. But let's say it's Friday night, 15 minutes after sunset. The Brit is on Sunday. Famous thing. We do not do Brit on Shabbat, which, indicates, which involves a violation of Shabbat, unless the baby is certainly an eight day, eighth-day baby, since the baby might be a ninth-day baby, therefore we wait till Sunday. 
Okay. I brought that because of the comments of the Hagot Maimoniot, who was a student of Rameyer of Rotenberg. And this is where um, um, the early Ashkenazi input uh, into commenting on the Rambam shows up. And uh, he quotes the Maharami Rotenberg, and he, then he says, meaning determining whether it's day or night has nothing to do with tefillah. Even if they started Shabbat early, meaning daytime is daytime and it's astronomic and it has nothing to do with Tosefet Shabbat. It's when the stars come out and that's it. And you could see that the, uh, the tour, who, like the Rambam, makes no mention of this issue, but the Beit Yosef quotes this tshuva and says, Exactly word for word. And then he quotes uh, the Mordechai, or Mordechai, you know, Ashkenazi, so if the baby was born Erev Shabbat after Arvit, but it was before stars were out, Malin Oto Erev Shabbat, the breed's the next Friday morning. Even though you made it nighttime with your tefillah. Now that's the phrasing that we're looking for. Even though you made it nighttime with your tefillah, it's still considered daytime for the issue of Brit Milah. And the Shulchan Aruch says it very straightforward, which is, Ein davar ze talui This has nothing to do with tefillah. Meaning, the determination of the day of birth of the baby has nothing to do with tefillah. That, uh, that we're not going to make it more lenient or more stringent, meaning that if uh, they said tefillah early and the baby was born afterwards, then we're not going to be lenient and say that the breach should be the next Shabbat. We're also not going to be machmer and say the breach should be the next Sunday, but it's simply the baby was born on Friday. Now, by the way, that, that has further implications which may be driving this. What I find kind of remarkable is that we even had to address the issue. In other words, the answer seems to be easy. The question is, why was it even brought up that it had to be addressed? Why would anyone think that because we've davened married early, when the baby is born, that the baby is considered to be belonging to the next day and birth being belonging to the next day? And it may be because we see how very powerful Tosefet Shabbat is that a person is banned from even uh, Isurim de Rabbanan, once they've accepted Shabbat, they can't ask a non-Jew to do malacha for them, perhaps. Um, seems likely uh, from the sources that we've seen uh, and other things. Therefore, it may, uh, it may we would perhaps think, we could entertain the possibility that it would have an impact also on time of birth. Um, one other point about that is that, of course, we, we wouldn't consider if a baby was born on, um, on, um, uh, on a Friday, uh, half an hour before sunset, but an hour after they daven Mariv, after they said Baruchu, you know, in the spring or in the summer, uh, that 13 years later, that baby's birthday, when the baby becomes, the young boy becomes Chayav and Mitzvot, is going to be based on that Shabbat. The birthday is still going to be the day he was born, and the day he was born is determined by the sun setting or not. All right, good. All right, the third area we want to look at is the issue of Hefseik B'Tahara. As I mentioned, a woman, before she starts counting her shiva nekiim, has an obligation to do a bidika, bein hashmashot, meaning a bidika before sunset and uh, perhaps through sunset, through that period, to make sure that she's clean, then she can start counting shiva nekiim. So the Shokharach, straight Shokharach says, Shiva yamim shazava sofert matchilin macharat yom shepaskabo. Remember, we're 
our tradition, going back to the times of Rabbi Zeir at least, is that well, that all of our women treat themselves as if they are as zava lahachmir, and even if they say one see one bit of dam, they assume that they've had three days in a row of dam, and they have to have shiva nikim. All right, so therefore, a the a zava who needs for seven days starts counting the day after she stops saying dam. Here's the rule. Let's say she saw Dom for two days or three days. And didn't see Dom anymore. She does a bidika on the day that she stopped. That's called Hefseik Betahara. It should be just before Ben Hashmashot. Okay? Because otherwise there's a concern if she does bidika earlier in the day, then maybe after that she saw Dom again. But the tour does quote the Rashba that says that if the Avad, post facto, she only did the Bidika in the morning and just wasn't aware of any Dhamma after that, that that would still be sufficient. Okay. That she should do a bidika during the entire benashmashot, starting of course before sunset. That solves everybody's issues. Okay. Now the Ramah. I put the Ramah in a different font and smaller and bold. Here we go. Now notice, by the way, uh, he's not talking about Shabbat. He's talking about any day. If the kahal said arvit, and it's still a good amount of time to go in the day, which by the way was the custom throughout Ashkenaz always, uh, she cannot do bedika anymore. She can't put start wearing her white clothes, which she wears during the Shiva Nikim, and start counting. Because she already made it uh, nighttime, and he's quoting the Truma Tadashen, Israel Israelite. Yesh Omrim, the Mutar Filo Asuakal Shabbat. And some people think that it is permissible, even if they made it Shabbat with the early Tfilah. So, Lechatchila, if let's say it's summertime, so we tell the woman is told to do her Bidika before they say Barchu in Shul. They say Barchu at 7 o'clock, do Bidika at 6.30. Right, but if she did it after that, even as long as it's before sunset, then we can rely on it. And this is just a side thing, but related. Let's say that before Baruchu, like she was supposed to, she did a bidika and she didn't say any more dam. And then she either saw ketem, which is a stain, or she actually saw dam during the seven days. Then the second time around, she can do a hafsek even after Baruch Hu that night. In Galkalasa Muchla Erev, if let's say that let's say that on that particular night she did a bedika before Baruch Hu, and then after Baruch Hu she saw a little dam, and then she could do another bedika, then that's okay. That's considered a bediavad. That's what women do. And now from the position of the posek. It is, we don't stop them. We don't rebuke them for that. There must have been some chacham who told them they could do that. It's an old minhag. In other words, he's saying that's the minhag. It doesn't really make sense because if we're saying that she should do her bidika before Baruch Hu, 
that if she did a bedikah before Baruch Hu, and after Baruch Hu saw Dam, that should, that should mess it up. But he said if she saw Dam, and it was still not nightfall, and she could do another bedikah, then they relied it. That's what the women do. Okay? But here we see a very strong impact of Arvit, but this is, of course, an impact which makes it night l'chumra, meaning that it, it is, a, uh, it is uh, something that it becomes an encumbrance and says, oh, you, you missed it, and you're going to have to wait another day to get started. And by the way, notice, this is not about Shabbat. There's just about saying Arvit early, which means you're making it nighttime. Okay, the last area of halacha that we want to explore is the area of Avelut. So just a couple words about this before getting started. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, there is no Avelut on Regel, and if somebody sits, uh, let's say, comes back from burying one of their relatives, an hour before sunset on a regel, they sit for five minutes, they get up, and that's shiva. That's it. Um, what happens, on the other hand, with a shmua? So when we talk about a shmua, which means you get news uh, about uh, a relative having been, died and been buried, if you get that shmua within 30 days of the burial, then you need to sit shiva. If it's after 30 days, then you sit for one day. It's a sugyan in the third parak of Moed Katan. Okay, so now let's take a look. We're going to start with the Mordechai. We've already seen the Mordechai from Ashkenaz, 13th century. Mishit Palel Arvit. Vadain Yomhu. Right, so here's our case. You, you said Arvit, it's still daytime. Korem Tzeta Kochavim. Right, Vishama Shmua Al Meto. And then you, got, you found out. So it's still before nightfall. You've already said Arvit, but the sun hasn't set. And you then heard that you had one relative who had died and been buried. So this is the Mochorat. When do you start counting Shiva? You start counting Shiva the next day. That, that half hour you've got doesn't count as part of a day. Even though it's daylight outside. And this is something we discussed way back in Brachot about saying our feet early is that about the issue of plag. The reason that we, m- many poskim, take the position that at least on the same day you can't say mincha after plag and mariv, also after plag before sunset, is because it's like you have two voices that are contradicting each other. The position of Rabbi Yudah versus Rabbanan, who, who have mutually exclusive positions, and you're using both of them. So he said you cannot call it nighttime by saying barhu and then subsequently turn it into the the day before the earlier part of the day by sitting shiva and say that's one that's one part of my shiva that's one day of my shiva so once you already said arvit and made it nighttime how can you turn it into day now it's already night now just one note just so we're all clear when shiva starts and it's true about all of it we have a principle called and it works on both the beginning and the end which means that when somebody begins their morning, the first day of the morning is from the minute that they have finished the burial, or in the case of Shmua, the minute that they got the Shmua, until sunset. That's one day. So, for instance, if a burial is half an hour before sunset, so after the burial, you, you take your shoes off, sit down, and uh, and sit down for a minute and accept some Nechama or whatever it may be, do some act of Avelut, and you're already starting day two, five minutes later, when the sun sets. Uh, the same thing, by the way, happens at the end of Avilut, is on the seventh day, you wake up in the morning, and the truth is that right after the sun has risen, 
you already uh, theoretically could part, could participate in activities you couldn't do during Shiva. Our custom is to wait till after after davening, and there's several things that we say and several things we do. But Avilut is up. We don't wait till the end of the day. Avilut is not ever seven full days. It's often uh, five and a half days or something of that sort. And so important to note that that but if you get a shmuah, let's say a person was to get a shmuah at an hour before sunset, and they hadn't said mariv, then the first of the seven days of their shmuah would would last an hour. But if you already said mariv, he said, then it has to start the next day, that night, all right? Because you can't call it day after you call it night. Even though in Brachot we said, if you do like Rabbi Yehuda, you've, you're okay, and if you do like Rabbanan, you're okay. Remember, we, that was that whole piece. If you recall, we saw that there was a position that said that you have to always be Rabbanan or always be Rabbi Yehuda. There was the broad position which said on any given day you could take either position, but you can't take both positions on the same day. Uh, and therefore, he says, even according to that more lenient opinion, you can't take both on the same day. That's the Mordechai. And now the Beit Yosef quotes him in Shochan Aruch and Hilchot Avelut. That's the Mordechai that we just saw. Mishpalak for Arvit, and I'm not going to read it again, we just saw it. And now the Shulchan Aruch says it very clearly um, in uh, in Ilchot Avilut and Shin Ein Hei in the Ardea. Mishpalak Arvit, Vadain Hu Yom. So a person said Arvit, it's still daytime, Shamashim et Lomet. And then you got a Shmuah. Yesh Mishomer Shimonem Yom Achorat. Some people think you have to start counting the next day. That's the Mordechai. And he doesn't quote another opinion. That sounds like the Shulchan Aruch favorably accepts the Mordechai, which means when you said Arvit, you made it nighttime. It's no longer that day. That day is finished. And in, at the almost the very end of your day, Amishit Palal Kfar Arvit Vadain Yomhu, Shamashmua Krova Monem Yom Machar, Right? So then an interesting question comes up is what would happen if you were to um, if you were to get a Shmua, um, you you uh, the same kind of thing happened, but the Shmuay you got was on day 30. And you'd already said Arvit, which means that, according to this, it's already day 31. So would you say now that because you got the Shmuay an hour before sunset, it's now day 31, and therefore you only keep one day the next day? Because Shmuay Rechoka? Or would you say, no, this is still a Shmuay Krovah, and you have to have seven full days, but the seven full days start later. Well, the truth is, if you take that position, which seems to be the position that we take, which is that we still consider it as if you got the news during the day, which means within the 30 days, so you have to keep a full shiva, but the full shiva starts the next night, you've also created an internal inconsistency. You're saying that your arvit made it nighttime for purposes of this day doesn't count, but your arvit did not make this daytime for purposes of making this day number 31. And there's certainly a lot to discuss uh, to discuss in there. Um, okay, um, we come toward closer to the, to the uh, to the end of the shiur, and um, I want to just introduce you to a particular kind of literature that um, that again we don't often 
encounter. We often encounter in, in hearing it and people sharing, but not necessarily in, in taking a look at it. And it is a, a kind of literature that we refer to as chuva literature or responsive literature. And the acronym for it is SHUT. Uh, you can see it in source 42. SHUT means SHELOTU CHUVOT. And SHELOTU CHUVOT literature is something that goes back to Talmudic times uh, when a community, typically be a community, uh, and then in some cases individuals, would send a letter to the regional or internationally known Chacham, either the Chacham who was the reigning Chacham in the world at the time, or else uh, recognized that way, or else a Chacham in a particular area of Halacha. Uh, there are experts in Gittin, there are experts in biomedical ethics, there are e- experts in electricity and technology and halacha, in different areas, that they'd be addressed with questions. Now, Chuva literature is itself a fascinating study. I'm going to spend a couple minutes on it. Um, every posek, every great halachic decisor issued Chuvot. And Chuva literature differs from Psak. Sifrei Psak, like the Rambam, the Tour, the Shulchan Aruch, which are code books, which present, this is what we do, this is what we don't do, you're not allowed to do this, if it happens like this, that is what your response should be, etc. A, uh, a tshuva is addressing a very specific circumstance, uh, and, the, uh, and the response um, addresses that circumstance, and often the response will be guarded in the sense of saying that this answer only applies to this particular circumstance and not others. But we can learn much from tshuva literature. One of the beautiful things, one of the many beautiful things about Shuvah literature is that it is expansive. In other words, unlike a code where the author really attempts to be concise and to make it accessible to everybody, Shuvah literature is really for the audience who asked to get the information uh, and to scholars. And therefore, the, uh, the author can often go off on tangents and discuss various related things and look at some of the conceptual approach um, and, and those issues relating to the question um, that are maybe perhaps uh, ancillary to the, to the final answer. Um, another interesting thing about Chuva literature is that, um, first of all, there's way more Chuvot out there than we have, than many that were lost, and many where the, uh, the Meshiv, the rabbi who was answering, did not necessarily keep a copy. Uh, and so we don't necessarily have uh, compilations, and there's been quite a bit of work done both through the Geniza and through other finds of collecting different chuvot and publishing them um, as the collected chuvot of a particular chacham, but sometimes we had to collect them from the, from the, the respondees uh, and, and put them all together, and it's not such a simple thing. Um, uh, another, but many chachamim, when they would write chuvot, they would make a copy of them for themselves and keep it. Uh, sometimes they would even refer to it. As often they would refer to it in their own chuvot. Uh, they would refer later on and say, "As I've already written in a chuva," and they would, uh, in a sense, be able to use a shorthand there. Um, and so this is uh, this is a, a familiar type of literature that continues to thrive, and in every generation will continue to thrive. Um, it has become popular in, uh, in a more recent time, a very recent time, as being a digital phenomenon. And there's even uh, a rabbi in Israel who has published several works called Rishut HaRabim, the public Rishut, but he puts Rishut as an acronym because these are all Shelotu Chuvot uh, that he has gotten as uh, either SMSs 
or his emails uh, and has responded. And, uh, you know, one can think what they want about the, the development of that uh, phenomenon that way instead of longhand, but uh, it, it certainly exists. And people are always, always looking for answers about things. Sometimes the questions are usually questions that are very specific to a, to a particular issue. Sometimes the questions are theoretical, and sometimes the questions are broad. Uh, but when we talk about tshuva literature within the realm of halacha, which again exists from the times of the Gemara, we do hear in the Gemara cases where people um, uh, wrote um, questions to a community, typically to the uh, to Tveria from Bavel, for instance, at a particular time, and were sent back an answer in writing. Um, and uh, it was really one of the few written pieces that existed at the time. Uh, but uh, again, tshuva literature and the uh, tshuvota the Gonim also are uh, an important piece of literature that o- that sheds light and opens a door into an area that we don't have a lot of historic information about. Uh, another piece of the puzzle is that tshuva literature uh, is something that can teach us much about the history of the times um, and uh, and and the setting. Because the way that questions are asked, even the, the fact that certain questions are brought up, uh, whether it's a, a question famously that the Sridesh, Rechiel Yaakov Weinberg, the very famous Chuva, was asked about mixed um, coeducational youth groups uh, and the way that he answered it uh, about, uh, this is, uh, this is uh, between the wars, uh, about uh, having such groups in, um, in France. And, uh, and the way that he responded to whether it was a good idea or a bad idea. Uh, questions that are asked uh, from different periods about, um, about the, permiss- uh, the permissibility of using certain digital technology for certain things. Tell, you know, to us, that's obvious. In later generations, people look back, and that will be uh, like an archaeologist's archeolo- tool to find out what life was like really in that era. Okay, enough um, introductory material that you vote. We're going to take a look at two... Uh, great Chachamim. First of all, the Maharshal, Marinurav, Rav Shlomo Luria, um, who lived in the 16th century uh, in Lublin. Um, this is really the, the period of kind of the seam between Rishonim and Achronim, and you might consider him almost, almost the beginning of the period of Achronim. Um, and uh, he wrote an important uh, commentary on Shas, um, he also, uh, the Yamsha the Shlomo, um, he, uh, he wrote an important commentary um, on the Shulchan Aruch, and also a lot of important chuvot. And so we'll take a look right now at, um, at this chuva, chuva pe aleph. We're not going to look at the whole thing, it's quite a bit to look at, but I just want to show you the flavor of it. Sheila, and I put the question in a different font. Lomet Tfilat Arvit. All right, again, somebody died. And uh, before Arvit, the Kavruhu Achart Filat Arvit, and they buried him after Arvit. Vadain in Olayla, but it's not nighttime yet. E Olemik Tzatayom Hazelim Inyan Shivaid Me'avilut. This is what I mentioned earlier, but with a twist. He himself was in a community. Somebody died. One of his relatives died. He buried him after they'd set Arvit, but it's still daytime. Has he finished one day, half an hour later, when the sun sets? Is it like the case of the Mordechai, who says when you get a Shmua Krova after Arvit, then you can't count that as part of the day? So he says, Tshuva, just to the beginning, 
He disagreed with the Mordechai. He said, even for Shmua Krova, that little bit day should count. If he himself didn't say Arvit. He said, the Mordechai didn't talk about Arvit was said. He's saying, when that guy himself davened Arvit. So he so this by the way impacts on the whole issue of the power of the community to make it nighttime by saying Arvit and impact on everybody. Right? Um and uh, and then he says a little bit further down, you can see about halfway down the middle of the line it starts with the word Monev. He says it may be, and he suggests this in the paragraph in the meantime, that it may be that we would follow the public tefillah to determine at nighttime for that. Because he didn't know anybody had died in that case. And he should have been davening with the community, which means theoretically for him it should be nighttime. But here, he did have somebody himself who died. He was aware of it. He participated in the funeral. So he obviously didn't go to Arvit. He is not allowed to daven, right? He's an onen. It's not like he's living somewhere else. He's not affected by the kahal. And therefore, he makes the argument that in, that in that particular case, uh, the, uh, the, the, the rest of the day should count as a day. Now notice, he does two things. His answer is clear. His answer is that half hour should count for a day. Um, the half hour after the tzibur said arvit, um, and then uh, the burial was then, should already count for a day. But he comes with two reasons. He said, first of all, because the Mordechai didn't mean if the kahal said arvit. The Mordechai said, if you said arvit, and then you found out somebody died, you can't now call it daytime. That didn't happen here. The second thing is that even if you want to say that the Mordechai meant when the kahal says arvit, you're finished, that's only when you were somebody who could have said arvit with them and should have. But here, because you didn't know anybody died, then you got the news. But in this case, where you were present at the funeral, obviously you weren't able to have an Arvit, and therefore you're not part of that. That Arvit doesn't affect you. Okay. Uh, the other tshuva of the Mahashal connects with another area of the halacha that we looked at. It says, She'ela, Isha shira'ata archar Arvit biyom alef, v'adayin yomhu, yimichol boshnikiim biyom hei. So let's say that, uh, now this comes to the custom, that a woman doesn't start counting Shiva Nikim until five days from when she started saying. So he now has a twist on something we saw before in the Shulchan Aruch. What if a woman saw Dam for the first time on Sunday evening after Arvit, but it's before sunset? Again, throughout Ashkenaz, they regularly daven before sunset. It's not unusual. Can she already start wearing her white clothes on Thursday and consider that to be the fifth day, meaning the Sunday count? They have a custom not to put on these special clothes until the fifth day. Or if we'll say that because it was after Avit, it's as if she already saw on Monday and she can't start till Friday. And so we could just see from the beginning of his answer, Tshuva. They only start putting on these special clothes on day five and only start counting on day six. There's no question here. 
Shumriyat The whole reason that they're machmir, because they might see during Ben Ashmashotu. So and she wouldn't make a mistake. And she'll think it was from the day before. For Shemulaila, during Ben Ashmashot, it's already maybe nighttime. She already added a day, meaning this extra day is already an extra day just to protect against Ben Ashmashot. So it's also fake. There's no more concern here. In this question. So this doesn't need anything big. But there's places where the women only put on the put on these garments as early as the fourth day. Then you have to look into it. All right. There's nothing really to be concerned about. Because it's still daytime. And then he goes into some details. But the point is that in both of these cases, the Maharshal says, indeed, that Chumrah does exist, but that Chumrah doesn't need to extend to a case where either the circumstances are different here, like with Arvit and the Avelut, uh, or in this case with um, with uh, Hefseik Batahara, where she's already added an extra day to protect against the Safek, no need to add an extra day to that because they said Arvit. And the last thing I want to show you is the Nitziv. The Nitziv of Talit Tzvi Yehuda Berlin, it was the Rosh Hashim and Velozhin, a uh, very famous uh, uh, star in our constellation. Um, he um, was a pro- prodigious author. Um, and uh, and wrote um, not only Chidushim um, Shas and and uh, uh, commentary on the Midrash Halacha, and of course, uh, Chuvot, as we'll see. And not only was the Rosh Yeshiva and ran the um, Velozhin Yeshiva um, until really its first closing, at least, in uh, 1893, he was born in 1816, uh, but, he, and he, but his commentary on Chumash is a, is, a, is a thing of beauty, the Hamek Tavar, uh, but uh, of course, he also wrote Chuvot, and in, in his Chuvot that are they're titled uh, Meshiv Davar, uh, he, it's an, a curious Chuvot because he he says it's something to discuss. He raises the issue. Had some interest, interesting piece. Hashelat, uh, sort is forty four. So, like we had last year, Pesach was started on a Friday night. So she lit Shabbat candles, which was also Yom Tov. And then she found out that she was a mourner, meaning she And she, on her own, took her shoes off and sat down until it got dark. So the question is, has she already had Avilut, and now after that half hour of sitting on the ground without her shoes, she's now finished Shiva? Or do we say that, well, she already started Yom Tov, and therefore the entire thing is going to start afterwards? And so he says, start the answer, it seems to me, he says something curious. He says, certainly, if she did practice, like you, like the, the description that happened here, because remember, according to the Rambam, who says there is no mitzvah tosefet, and by the way, remember, according to the Rambam, if you daven arvit early, you could still do malacha on Friday night. According to the Rambam, says there is no Tosefet. And therefore, lighting candles doesn't make it Shabbat. We've already seen that, those opinions. The Rambam certainly agrees. 
Therefore, when she got this telegram, she was obligated to be an Avila. And therefore, even if she didn't sit down, she still counts as Avilut. You could say, yeah, but the fact is that people do have the custom that once they light candles, they stop doing malacha. Now, sakin neder, you could say it's like a neder. She didn't say, I'm accepting Shabbat, and therefore it's not really a neder. Nonetheless, if she's done it three times, it's a common custom. We treat it like a neder, and he quotes the sources. But we're familiar with the idea that if you do a good thing three times, it becomes like a neder, something you're obligated to do. etc. Good. Um, um, good. So here's the question. And he says, it's a question. If somebody has the custom that when they light candles, they stop doing malacha of Kedushat HaShabbat, and they act with Kedushat Shabbat, the Rambam would say, that's not the Ikaradin, but that's your own custom. Maybe that custom gets pushed away because there's a mitzvah of Avilut. We have a rule based on Shmuel's statement in Moed Katan that in Avelut we always follow the lenient opinion. And since at this point, even though she might have intended to not keep to, to not do malacha and to observe it as Shabbat once she lit candles, and the fact is that it's a minhag tov, but the mitzvah of Avelut may trump that and may mean that she really wasn't Avela for that half hour, even if she didn't sit down on the ground and take her shoes off. He said, He said, all of that is if she did sit. What happens if she comes and asks us the question? She's your next door neighbor. And she says, I just got this telegram. I just lit candles. It's half an hour before sunset. I just got this telegram. What do I do? He said, Then we should think about it. And there he throws out the two different ideas. Meaning he says, if this already happened and she did sit on the ground for a few minutes and act like an Avila, for sure she's done with Avilut. And you could even argue that even if she didn't sit down because she was an Avila, in fact, therefore she's done. But now if she comes to ask us what to do, since our custom is to rule like the Bahag, <coughs> that lighting candles starts Shabbat, because we rule against the Rambam that there is Tosefet Shabbat in Yom Tov, we would tell her not to be an Avila. And this is the curious piece that the Nitziv brings up. And he doesn't conclude, he just says this is something to discuss. Does Tosefet Shabbat make it Shabbat and make it Yom Tov for all aspects, something we asked in the first shiur. And that means that even for Simchat Yom Tov, it's now 100% a time of Simchat Yom Tov, and there can be no Avelut. Or is it just that you can't do Malacha, but the Mitzvah of Simcha only starts at dark, and Avelut can happen now. 
For Hestia, we would tell her not to publicly show her Avelut, <coughs> because that would violate Yom Tov. Um, to like take her shoes off and sit on the ground. For sure, even on Shabbat, we don't do the public demonstrations. But she still, privately, for that half hour, can't uh, do things of Simcha, etc., and uh, and therefore he says it's something to consider. And he says I don't know what I'm just raising the question. All right, what we've seen over the course of the last uh, uh, almost 50 minutes is uh, we we took a look at a few of the different questions that the issue of Tosefet would impact on in different areas of halacha, uh, whether about uh, <coughs> about the issue of kriyachma, the issue of uh, of of uh, Avelut, the issue of Hefsek B'tara, and even we played around a little bit for a moment with the issue of the date of a birth for Brit Milat. And we saw how the the, the tour, but Yosef, Shokhanach, we saw so a comment in the Ravan about Kriyachma, an interesting approach, and then we looked at Shuvah literature, and we saw the Maharshal in two Shuvot, one about Avelut and one about Hefsek B'tara, and then this curious discussion, this interesting discussion of the Nitziv about the woman who gets the telegram after she lit candles uh, for for uh, Yom Tov, which was on Shabbat, and uh, and after lighting candles, but nonetheless the uh, sun had not set, she finds out that a relative have di- had died. Should she sit for a few minutes, or if she did sit, does it count? And he he conclusively said, if she did sit for a couple minutes, it counts. And even if she didn't, it may be that it counts, and she's done with Avilut question is, what would we tell her to do if she were to come to us at that point? And it seems to incline towards the position of saying we would uh, tell her to practice Avelut privately, but nothing public, no demonstrations of it, and then she would be done with Avelut. Okay, and we're going to meet again next week, Amir Tzashem. Um, hopefully sometime soon we'll meet together in person, but in the meantime we'll continue via our podcast, uh, via our, uh, we'll continue podcasting this year, but we'll hopefully we'll be able to meet uh, in person. Uh, and um, and we're going to go back to issues on the DAF. We're going to take a look at the sugya at the beginning of the 10th parakamatsniya of Misayaya, uh, which is a, a really fun sugya to look at. Everybody should have a wonderful day. Stay healthy and stay safe.